guys, welcome to Summer Nights. Uh, it is similar to what we were doing this past year, but also different. It's a little longer. We're going to do more bigger scale, running around type games. It won't be Capture the Flag every week. Um, we'll rotate through a bunch of different, uh, different things. But uh, not only will we have games, but we'll also still have a talk. Uh, tonight is me, but uh, the rest of them, you're going to get a chance to hear from the interns. They're each going to give a talk here at Summer Nights. So as you get to know them over the course of the summer, you'll get to hear each one of them give a talk as well. And uh, we are going to be doing a new series as well this summer. And this summer we are going to be looking at a series called I Am. We're going to be looking at Jesus's I Am statements that come in the gospel of John. And this year, uh, we've had an overarching theme, right? We've had an overarching theme this year uh, in all the talks. They've all kind of threaded through this lens of fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've looked at Jesus with other people. We've looked at Jesus in everyday life, Jesus the forgiver, Jesus in doubts. And as we round out and further our understanding of who Jesus is this summer, who better to help complete that understanding of Jesus's identity than Jesus himself? So we're going to look at some of the things that he says he is to help uh, further our picture of just the, the who, um, who Jesus is and what he means to us. And the way we're going to do that is uh, tonight, this is kind of like the introduction of the series, the introductory talk of the series, and it works out that um, what we're going to be looking at is, as we look at I am statements is kind of like this is you could think of it as an introduction of sorts, right? It's an introduction uh, by God in, in Exodus in that first passage we'll look at when God says I am and kind of sets the tone for Jesus's statements later on. And it's an introduction with the first time Jesus says an I am statement, and each subsequent times he's kind of reintroducing an element, an aspect of his character, of his nature, of who he is, of his identity. And that's going to be important for us as we build and complete our picture of Jesus to understand um, how that plays and affects our identity in him, right? We always hear this phrase, your identity is not in these other things, it's in Christ. And so as we understand more and more about Jesus's identity, about who Jesus is, we'll understand more and more about what our identity in him looks like as well. And so when we think about the idea of introductions, an introduction is kind of twofold, right? It is letting us know who it is. Like when you introduce yourself to someone or, be, or introduce to someone else, you're saying who it is and what to expect from them. Right, a classic introduction would just be like when you meet someone for the first time, you do the handshake, the awkward like, hey, I'm Nick, what's your name? Great, awesome, this is what I do, what do you do? Very simple example. Uh, other things, I, I was like trying to think of a story in my life where an introduction went poorly or had like a funny ending or something, couldn't think of one, didn't wanna make one up. So then I was like, I'll just Google it. <sighs> Googled, not a good thing. Introductions, not an interesting thing, not a lot of good results. On the Google, um, a couple things that popped up were best like book introductions, and it would have like it was like these weird blog sites that were like the ten best opening sentences, introduction sentences of books, and it was like I hadn't read any of those books, so that wasn't even that didn't even do it. And then it was like best character introduction in movies, and I was like movies, that's great, that's my thing. 
and it wasn't real. They didn't really mean the same thing I was doing. They were, and it was all like music and score based or whatever. And then I kept scrolling. I kept scrolling. Have you ever gone like 15 pages deep on a search? Usually, if it's not on the first one, I just try searching something else. But I just I committed. I was going deep, and I finally came across one that I got excited about and that was interesting to me. And that was professional wrestling introductions. Did anybody watch professional wrestling? Is that like a thing that people watch? Luke? All right. Guys, me neither. I do not watch professional wrestling at all. But I was watching this like 20-minute YouTube compilation video of all these different wrestlers and their different like introductions. And the introduction for professional wrestling still leading to this example, right? It's telling you who it is and what to expect from them. And the, one of the top ones of somebody that I think we all know that kept coming up was the introduction for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who, if you don't know, used to be a wrestler, not just a, a, a movie star. And his introduction is actually interesting because he would come out, no words, right? He would just walk out, everyone would be going, ah, crazy, whatever. And they would hand him a mic. He would introduce himself to the crowd. They'd hand him a mic. And he'd grab the mic like this, and he would go, kind of turn to the side, and he'd go, can you smell? And then he'd pause, and everyone would, ah, because they, they know what to expect already. They already know him, but if, you're like, can you smell what, Dwayne? Like, what, like, I would, I didn't understand, I didn't say, and then you go, can you smell? What the rock? The rock, his nickname, right? So we, now we know who it is. We're, no, we're expecting to smell something. What are we going to smell? Can you smell what the rock is cooking? And he would do that, and everybody just goes nuts, and they're like, that's the rock, and we're ready to smell whatever he's going to cook. I think that's an analogy. I don't think he was actually going to cook in there. But that was, that's the kind of introductions that were coming up on page 15 of my Google search. And the introduction, they let us know what to expect. They let us know who we're seeing. You know the rock is here, and you know that he has come to bring the thunder. And he's going to do something that's going to invoke the smell of cooking, I guess. I don't know. But similarly, well... Hard transition here, not similarly, but um, <laughs> in the same way that the rock introduces himself in Exodus chapter 3, God introduces himself different. He does not ask Moses uh, if he could smell what he is cooking. Um, I think if he had, we'd have a whole other thing going on here, but uh, he, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, and a lot of you know the Moses story, right? Moses has, uh, he was kind of, he was raised by Pharaoh after he was sent down the river, right, in the basket, we know that, and then Moses sided with a Hebrew man in, in, a, in a fight, and it resulted in him having to run away, and for 40 years, he kind of created this new life, he was a shepherd, and then God comes to him in the burning bush, right, and, he, and he's kind of reintroducing, he's introducing himself, God, to Moses, and we see that in, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 14, and, and it goes like this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God has, has, has told Moses that he's the one who's going to go back to Egypt and, and bring his people out of slavery. And Moses is like, what? Who, who am I, God? Like, who am I to do that? He said, but I will be with you. 
And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to my people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses asks God what he should say, the name of the God who is sending him is, and he says, I am that I am. And this is the first I am statement, and we'll look at it here in a second. But I think it's interesting that Moses is asking a question of God that I think we've all asked at different times whenever we felt God calling us to do something maybe that we're not comfortable with. But who am I, God? Who am I to do this thing? And we, like Moses, are often focusing on the things that we are not. We might be put in a situation or feel called to a situation that we, and we feel like God is pushing us in this direction. And we're like, we're not the kind of person who gets up and gives, gives a talk. We're not the kind of person who speaks in front of others or moves people in this direction or, or does this thing that I feel like you're calling me to do. That's not who I am. But God tells us that he is. I am who I am. Like I said, the goal is to understand who Jesus is. And we're going to move from Old Testament to New in a second and better, to better understand who we are in him. The mistake that Moses makes, and the mistake that we often make, is that we do not look to God, to Jesus, to see what he's telling us that he is like. We look at ourselves. God tells him, Moses that he is going to do great things through Moses, and Moses' response is, who am I to do these things? God didn't say, Moses, you're on your own, figure this out. He said, I will be with you. I'm going to do this through you and with you. But Moses wasn't looking to God. He was looking at himself. Here in Exodus, we see God introduce, describe himself as I am, right? I am that I am. In order to show Moses that by focusing on God, not himself, uh, he can begin to understand both God and himself better. Moses goes from this, this uh, guy who lives in the Pharaoh's palace to a shepherd for 40 years to a liberator of his people through faith in God, through faith in the great I am. And this is kind of the moment that kickstarts him focusing less on himself and more on what God can do through him. So this is the, this is the I am in the big I am in the Old Testament. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. Like I said, this series we're going to be looking at Jesus's I am statements. And, uh, the fir- and these are, uh, there's seven of them, I think, that occur through the Gospel of John. And the first one is not as explicitly, he doesn't say like, I am the blah, 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 blah. Um, but it, but it, you'll see, like, it, uh, if you read the root Greek and, and all that stuff, like, you, it would be there. Um, and, and we'll unpack it when we get to that point. But we're in John's gospel. It's chapter 4. It's near the beginning. And Jesus uh, utters his first, I am. And he does this uh, when he has encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, I, I don't know if, if you guys have heard that story. We're going to go through this looking at it through the lens of getting to Jesus' introduction, Jesus' I am statement. But he meets the woman at the well, and the woman, the Samaritan woman, her understanding of Jesus grows throughout this encounter. It's a really cool uh, picture of this whole process that Jesus can take us through to get to an understanding of his identity, of who he is, 
in this one story. And so we're gonna kind of look at it at the different checkpoints she reaches, at the different things that she comes to understand on the road to understanding that Jesus is who he says he is. And so uh, we get to this point, and, there, and there's a lot of backstory that you uh, will pick up as we go through it, and that I don't have time to really get into all of it. Um, but she's a Samaritan woman, and they tell you that for a reason, and that's because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't necessarily get along well. They wouldn't have been talking to each other in public. They wouldn't have been interacting. And so we get to this point where Jesus comes to the, this well to get some water. She is there. The disciples have gone into town. It's just the two of them. And we pick up the story here in uh, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And John is great. He gives you these parentheses. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Thanks, John. Great. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so the first thing that she understands in her first interactions from Jesus is a pretty face value thing. She realizes, she comes to understand that he is Jewish. And she, and she mentions that in their interactions, that she is Jewish. And she asks this question. Um, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's cautious. She's like, I know you're Jewish, is this a trick? She's trying to kind of figure out what's going on. She's reading between the lines. She doesn't fully understand still who he is, just this one aspect of him. And in verse 10, Jesus tells her that she doesn't understand, and she doesn't understand a few things. She doesn't understand who he is, obviously, what he can do for her, what he has to offer, and how she can receive this. And so the process of understanding is still going on. She's interested. It's building up to the real introduction punchline, the I am statement, but we're not quite there yet. So it goes on to the next thing she understands in the next section of the text. Uh, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as his sons and livestock did. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but for whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she gets to this point and this interaction and she, she realizes and understanding that she, uh, Jesus is greater then Jacob, she says, who are you who is greater than our father, Jacob? And Jacob was a big pillar of this, uh, of the Jewish faith uh, up to this point. And Jesus, her acknowledging, like, like questioning, are you greater than Jacob is? Is kind of getting her towards that point of how great Jesus is, of what he is, of who he is. But she's not quite there yet. They're at Jacob's well. Um, uh, which would have been a, a well-known and, and meaningful place, um, especially why probably why she references Jacob here. And uh, you see there's this water talk, right? And she's confusing the material water, the physical water in that well right there with the spiritual water that he's talking about, that living water. And throughout John's gospel, throughout all these I am statements, John is very concerned with the idea of life, um, he's very concerned with the idea of life. And what do, 
What are like three big things that we need as humans for life? What do you need to keep living? Anybody, shout them out, Quentin. Food, yes, food is one of them. What's another one we hear? Yep, water, air, yes, we need to breathe air. Food, water, and air, I would say, are probably top three things you need to live. Um, and Jesus knows that. People at this time know that. We know that that is what you need for life. And so throughout John's gospel, he, Jesus, you see Jesus constantly using these themes in his teachings. Here we see not just talking about water, but comparing that water to the living water. And she's getting there. She's not quite there yet, but she's getting there, the Samaritan woman. But she's concerned here with how to get it. And she's missed the fact that Jesus has already told her. If you go back to verse 10, sorry, I'll drop this not in order, but... Uh, if you go back to the verse 10, right, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Jesus has already told her she just needs to ask, and she can get this living water, but she's not there yet. She's got a couple more things to understand. The next section of things that she has to understand, I won't read it all. I know I have it up there, but I'm, I don't want to go too long here. Um, the next section, she understands that he is a prophet. And in that, you can skip to the next one. Um, and in this section, uh, you will see two, two big things that kind of lead her to this uh, assumption that he is a prophet. The first is she uh, has her sin pointed out to her by Jesus, uh, which sounds like a big, intense shift. But he's not doing it maliciously, but to draw attention to it because awareness of our sins is an important piece when we seek to understand Jesus' identity and what ours is in him, right? Awareness of our sins is, goes hand in hand with the awareness of who God is and how holy he is and, and what he means to us and bringing those sins up, right? And not just letting them sink us. And, this, and, the, and she, they have this discussion about her sins of the past and she ends that with, are you a prophet, sir? And he goes on to say that essentially the old way of doing things is gone. The new day has come. A new hour is coming. And through that, he's building up towards this idea of that saving faith comes through faith in Jesus. Not no longer the way that we did things in the past, but through who he is. He's building up to this point with her. And finally, the last two verses, she gets there. She's learned, she's understood that he is a Jewish he is, he is Jewish, he is greater than Jacob, he is a prophet, and finally he is the Christ. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And that's phrased awkwardly as it's been translated into English, but that same I am is there um, we're just reading it in slightly a different order. And so we see the Messiah is coming. She knows that the Messiah is coming. And finally, she gets to the point, he tells her, I am who you're talking about. He repeats what God had said to Moses in Exodus. And if we go continue on in the story, we see her come to immediately believe that. Her process of understanding who Jesus is brings her to this point where she believes she has faith. And she even leads others in her town as well. She goes back and others come to see for themselves 
the Messiah, who, the Christ who is there, a new disciple, a brand new disciple. She just started believing and understanding who Jesus is, and she already calls others to walk alongside her with him. And that's it, right? A, a happy ending to a story. She understands more about Jesus' identity. She believed, and now she's good, right? We're done? Oh, you sense the trick, the trickery in my voice. I like that. For many of us, I think that we get to a point where that's where we're at. That's where we think. We, we get this uh, point in the Christian life in our understanding of who Jesus is. We got to this point where the Samaritan woman gets, and there's this chart that Max showed me this week that, that I thought really uh, poignantly showed this. So we're going through our lives. We get to this point where we understand who Jesus is, and then the timeline breaks, right? No Loki spoilers, but the timeline breaks, and um, up top, as we continue to go on with our lives, we have a growing awareness of God's holiness up top, and on the bottom, we have a growing awareness of our sins, so as we move through life, we're constantly expected and, and should be understanding more and more about our own sinful nature and more and more about how God's holiness is there to help bridge the gap because of the cross, right? Because of what Jesus did. No longer, Jesus says, the new hour has come. No longer do we need the ways of old in order to, to have that holiness be attained for us despite the sins of our lives, right? But we get to this point where the Samaritan woman got to. We're, having, we're doing great in our faith. We're moving along as our awareness of each of God's holiness and our sinfulness grows. So too does our understanding of Jesus and the cross that bridges that gap. But we don't, we, it, it, it is a perpetually moving thing, time, right? The chart doesn't just stop right there with the cross that big and our understanding of it staying that size. So if you go to the next picture, you'll see time continues to move on. And at a certain point, sometimes we stop trying to understand more about our sinful nature. Sometimes we stop at some point growing aware of God's holiness and what that means for our lives. And our, our image and our understanding of the cross stays the same, but time keeps moving on, and, and you see that there's this gray area above and below. There's this gray area, and it seems like we get this point where, where we're filling, right? We're trying to fill this area because we can sense, even if we're not seeking it out intentionally, our understanding of our sinful nature, we can sense that there's something is missing that that, and, and oftentimes I see this so often, especially in, in, in a, a lot of like high school, late high school students. I see so often they get this feeling and they're like, and their conclusion from this feeling of this gap is that Jesus does not cover our sin. That Jesus is not as holy as he says he is. And what they're not considering is that maybe our understanding of how holy he is or how sinful we are has not caught up to where the reality of those things are at. Our identity in Christ is founded on an understanding both of who he is, of how holy he is, and our sinfulness, and we are saved. That gap is bridged through Jesus and what he did on the cross. 
Um, when we minimize the gospel, we don't think of God as everything that he says he is. We do, um, we ignore the introduction, right? We ignore what to expect. It says it'd be as if um, we, we know what's going to happen and yet we ignore it, right? If, if the rock came out and said his introduction to us and you th- were standing in a ring and you were like, huh, wonder what that means, knowing full well that he was gonna come and, and wrestle you to the ground, like that's what that would be like. It's Moses looking at himself when God is doing this thing in front of him and telling him how he's gonna use him rather than seeing who he's talking to, who he's making excuses to, who he is trying to uh, minimize in that moment. It's the Samaritan woman worrying about how she's gonna get this water and not realizing that all she needs to do is ask to receive the living water. God told Moses, Jesus told this woman, and he tells us that no matter what, no matter what we've been through, no matter how bad our sinful nature seems, no matter how far away his holiness feels, an understanding of who Jesus is leads to understanding of who we are in Christ and allows us to connect those two things because we believe that Jesus can and he can if we believe it. 